so much Zig Choir. Let's give God some praise for them again, please. Okay, they might not come back and sing again if that's all the thank you you're going to give them. Goodness. All right. Would you join me in the book of Acts, chapter 16? The book of Acts, chapter 16. And we'll read verses 25 through 27, as we have done on a previous occasion. Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. I am still wrestling with the question of why does Paul and Silas, in the moment of incarceration, exercise the process of praise and prayer when what they need is a release from prison. I'm still trying to bring about for our own conclusion what this episode meant in the life of Paul as he moved through his evangelistic thrust for the kingdom of God. And so I want to try to attempt, not necessarily violating homiletical principle again, to begin with this text, but to back up in chapter 16 and once again expose episodes that led to this kind of reaction of being incarcerated. And so we'll travel back particularly to beginning in verse 5 as we move forward to see what gave birth to this expression of prayer and praise. Congressman John Lewis from Georgia, a warrior on the front line of the civil rights movement, one who suffered many emotional and physical injuries, especially on March 7th, 1965, that is described this bloody Sunday, as he and others were attacked by the law enforcement officials for crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge in their march from Selma to Montgomery. In his memoir entitled, Walking with the Wind, Congressman Lewis conveys, we never went out on a march 
without first praying and singing. Someone would always initiate either a freedom song or we would find ourselves singing, we shall overcome, or there is a bomb in Gilead. In fact, he said, when we were sitting, attempting to cross and eventually end up sitting on the Pettus Bridge, arriving on the other side and were confronted by Major John Cloud and his deputies, along with the state troopers and the posse that was hired to confront us with their billy clubs and bull whips, John Cloud announced to us that there were some 600 marchers who were participating in an unlawful assembly and therefore ordered us to disperse and go back to church or go home. Congressman Lewis said that we felt trapped at that time and we couldn't go forward and we couldn't go back and there was only one option, he said, we had left. I leaned to my colleague and said, we should just simply kneel and pray. We turned and began to pass the word back to those who were behind us and then eventually we all bowed down in a very prayerful manner understand those marchers were opposed and encountered an obstacle that was issued by then Governor George C. Wallace who ordered, I quote, stop the Negroes walk for freedom from Selma to Montgomery. And after being physically assaulted and injured, all they had left was their spiritual fortitude and hope to move forward. Opposition created the opportunity for Lewis and others to engage and witness what prayer and singing in the time of trouble can do in a tight spot. Both are often demanded when you find yourself trying to be imposed or disposed in a strange land. For Israel, the Babylonian context, the strange land, yielded its response in which their captives came and made a request, sing for us one of the songs of Zion, of which they responded, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? But I want you to know that it's the strange place, the strange land, where you are called to sing freedom songs. It's the strange place where the songs of Zion become the most, where you lift up, we shall overcome, and where you identify there is a bomb in Gilead. Or you may take the hymnal route and remember the singing, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I give. Have you noticed that you sing the loudest and you pray the strongest when you are opposed and when there are oppressors who are threatening your existence and your freedom. And yet in Acts chapter 16, here's a prime example of a predated civil rights movement by Paul. Two protesters, Paul and Silas, are incarcerated because they are protesting the demonic exploitation and the freedom rights of a girl 
who was created to be free and not to be exploited by those who believed they were owners of her existence. Before the civil rights movement, Paul and Silas engaged in what I call a freedom right movement, a freedom right movement for a girl who needed someone to be her voice. When you read Acts 16, I'm convinced that the overall objective is yes, evangelism that eventually arrived in Macedonia and Philippi, but God had his hand in this movement that eventually you would birth a beloved community and Paul would paint the picture that possibility to show that culturally inclusive communities can be realized and that the bridges can be built to help us cross and engage in healthy conversations that continue to cause us racial and cultural barriers. Yet what Paul and Silas experienced by way of being arrested and being beaten and being incarcerated was their willingness to confront evil with the power of the Holy Spirit on behalf of a teenage girl who had no civil rights and whose freedom rights were violated and yet they needed to be recognized. Here it is in the text. Their confrontation, birth, says the scripture while on their way to a prayer meeting, trying to find a place where they can pray they experienced the interaction of a woman named Lydia who was already a believer witness the word spoken by Paul as verse 13 says he was looking on the Sabbath day for a place outside the city that he might experience the time of prayer. He sat down and began to speak with this woman who comes from a different country, but yet who has been embraced by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me suggest that one, perhaps several reasons why we experience such low attendance in our prayer meeting is because A, life has provided both distractions and substitutes for prayer. We've been loathed into thinking that we don't have time to pray, that there are too many other things that has to be done in the time frame of the day, and so prayer takes a back seat to our own imposed priorities. Secondly, people don't come to prayer meeting because they fear that praying will lead to more trouble lead to more trouble in the sense that when you start to pray, you are then endued with power from on high, and then being endued with power will strongly suggest that that power has to be tested in order to develop authenticity in terms of how to use that power when the winds of adversity occurs. And then finally, some people know that prayer yields power but it yields power at a cost that they're not willing to pay. Discipleship is expensive, both by currency of life and currency 
of commitment. The disciples knew this, but they knew also that they wanted the power that they saw Jesus possessed. And they asked Jesus upon the healing of a boy at the foot of a mountain after coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration and they themselves could not heal the boy in which Jesus responds, yet on this occasion as well as another, this kind of power to deal with evil does not come by naming it and claiming it. And this kind of power does not come by avoiding demonic confrontation. And this kind of power does not come by wishful or hopeful praying. But instead, Jesus says, this kind comes by praying and fasting. It comes by committing your life to the power of God to infuse you that whenever evil comes, you don't run, but you stand still and watch the salvation of God. It creates a level of boldness where you do not bow down to that which is standing before you, but you stand firm and you stand up that whatever it is, you confront it in the name of Jesus. In the text, Paul and Silas comes into Philippi looking for a place to pray as we conveyed earlier because they know that you need prayer power in order to combat demonic power from Satan. You just can't go in wielding a sword and not knowing what kind of sword you have in your hand. And have you also noticed that some situations you just can't rationalize you merely can't philosophically balance what is happening and you can't speak something merely away because you need power that is beyond you. And Paul is telling us that he and Silas in jail are praying because of how God has orchestrated their journey thus far. Follow me in the text. Luke shows us that God has had a hand in this situation, not just for evangelistic purposes, but for salvific purposes for a girl who is unbeknowing to Paul at the time. Notice when you go back and read verses 4 through 6 that God interrupts Paul's plan to go in one direction and redirects him to go into another. Listen to the text. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. That's chapter 15. And the issue was that there were some Jewish believers who were contending that as the Gentiles came into the church, they had to be circumcised in the same manner as the Jews were. And both Paul and Peter stood and made it clear it's not circumcision to which brings salvation to your house. 
It's faith in the work of Jesus Christ of what he's done for you at the cross. And they had a bit of a struggle trying to convince these Jewish traditionalists that you can hold on to your tradition of circumcision, but circumcision will not get you entry into the heavens. It may be a law conveyed by the Mosaic structure, but remember, when Jesus came, Jesus fulfilled every expectation of the law. And now Jesus saves because of grace and mercy. And both Peter and Paul made clear in chapter 15 that it's grace and it's mercy that all of us experience the kingdom of God. And this text tells us that Paul, along with Barnabas and others, left Jerusalem and began to share this message so much so that verse 5 says that all the churches to which they went were being strengthened in the faith and they were growing in numbers daily because people finally came to realize that they did not have to subscribe to some tradition of the church but instead they need only to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and the grace and mercy of God that saved their soul where they were. In fact, they didn't necessarily have to give up anything to get what God had because God's grace would so move their life that they would be willing to leave what they had before because the grace and mercy made life so much fuller. So the scripture says that everywhere they went, the churches were being strengthened in faith and they were being increased in number. And verse 6 says that as they were passing through the Phygenian and they came to the Galatian region, but notice what happens. They were going in one direction and God purposely interrupts their plan to send them in another direction. As they attempted to go where they were, verse 7 says that they were being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the gospel in Asia. Paul said, I wanted to take the gospel to Asia because it was a region to which I had not yet gone to preach but God said, not now. I don't want you to go to Asia. I got something more pressing that I want you to do. So God intervened. Watch this. This is what happens when you start praying that God would lead you. When you start praying, God does not entertain your plans because God already has plans in reference to where he wants you to go, he just shows you by interrupting your plans to let you know that I'm in control of this ship. I'm not the co-pilot. I am the pilot of where you are going. You are the one who sits in the seat as co-pilot and you follow my lead. Watch the text. Every time they tried to go to Asia, the Holy Spirit would shut the door. And thanks be to God that when I 
God made some decisions to go in one direction, God purposely shuts the door. And you know that you are in God's will when God shuts the door on you. It's to remind you that you're going in a direction that I don't want you to go, but I'm shutting the door so that you don't make a disaster of what lies ahead. That's why we ought to shout that when we look back and realize if I had went that way, look now at what have happened, but God shut the door repeatedly so that you had to end up going in another direction. Uh, direction. And that's why we should be thankful that God interrupts our plans when we make plans because although we think we might know how the outcome will be, God has a better plan and that's why he interrupts and sends us in a different direction. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Look at verse 7. And still in their own intention, wanting to go to Bithynia, watch what the Spirit of God does. In verse 7 it says, when they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia and the Spirit of Jesus would not permit them to get there. And I'm certain Paul was saying to himself, what in the world is going on? I'm preaching, I'm sharing, I'm evangelizing, I'm doing, God, what you want me to do. Why will you not let me go in the direction that I know I need to go? And watch what happens. When they pass, says verse 8, through Troyus, uh, through Masia, they came to Troyus and right there, Right there in Troyes, God shows Paul why I interrupted your plans. As he is in Troyes, says verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a certain man of Macedonia was, watch the two words, standing and appealing to Paul. He was crying out from the depths of his soul, come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul, we need you here via God who interrupted your plans that you might come to Macedonia because the gospel has not yet been preached here. And by revelation of what we've heard about Jesus, we need the message to be preached here. And look at the text and saying, come over here in verse 10. When he's seen the vision, Paul says, I'm not fighting now that I know why God interrupted the door. Immediately, says the text, Paul took flight and went directly to where God wanted him to go. Look at verse 10. Immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And that's the reason why God will not permit us to erase out of our space some people in some places because they need to hear the good news that has changed our life 
And as a result, God says, I want to use you to show them why prayer still works. Because when they see you, they will see a walking, living testimony that I am where I am because on one occasion, I cried out to God and he heard my cry. And because he heard my cry and pitied my every groan, I now have a calling to evangelize. And although I might want to go to one direction, notice God will not always send you to everyone who is receptive of what you have to say. But sometimes he sends you to people who are quite combative, who do not want to hear what you have to say, but want you to endure and stand your position because in the depths of their soul, they are standing and crying out with an appeal, I want freedom in my life and when I look at you, it looks like you have it and I want to know what did you do to get free and to be able to walk the way you are walking now. And so God interrupts. Interrupts our plans and sends us in a different direction. And so Paul sails out but not just seated in Macedonia but on the way he stops at various places to further share the gospel. But to fast forward this story, it says verse 12, they came, into they came into Philippi, which is a city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And I want you to see how this story so reflects a civil rights movement. He comes into a space where the Romans do not like the Christians. And they don't want them there because they carry the reputation of turning a city upside down. Here they are in this space for several days. And verse 13 says that as they move on the Sabbath day, they go outside, as I said earlier, to find a space where they might pray. Notice what Paul is doing. He follows the pattern of Jesus. Every town that Jesus went into, one of the very first things he would do is find a synagogue that he might go and converse in the presence of others with the Father that he might be instilled with power knowing that what lies ahead, trouble, challenges that he can't handle in his own strength. Paul knows the same, so he's looking for a place at least where he can share in prayer and converses with a woman named Lydia. And as a result, he ends up experiencing a hospitality that otherwise would have been avoided. For in a town like Philippi, that's a Roman colony, hospitality would have been left out because where Paul would have been invited to stay in the inn, it would have been filthy. It would have been dirty. It would have been nothing less than a brothel. And yet, watch this, because when God interrupts, then God sets up who you're going to meet along the way. He introduces him to a Lydia, watch this, and the Lydia that he's introduced to is not only a Christian, but wants to grow. 
and wanting to grow, if you read this closely, you'll notice that Lydia does certain things. The text says she's already a worshiper of God. She's already listening to what Paul has to say, says verse 14. And she's opened her heart unto God to receive through Paul what God has to say. And what does she do? She extends her hospitality by saying to Paul, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And the Bible says she prevailed upon us. In other words, she expressed the kind of love that we needed. When you follow the civil rights movement, every town that they went into, they had to prepare before getting there where they were going to stay because the accommodations would not allow them to stay in the end. So they had to find persons who would be of open heart and who would embrace them and bring them into their homes that they might carry out the mission to fight for justice. Watch this. And so as they're moving through, verse 16 says, it happened on their way that they, remember, plans have been interrupted. Here's the reason why. Secondly, because God wanted Paul to intercede on behalf of a young girl who had no one to intercede for her. Look at the text. On their way, they were going to a place of prayer. What? Look what it says. Don't overlook that. They were on their way to a place of prayer. On their way to church. Watch this. When you pray, God lead me, be careful. Because God just might lead you in the path that you may not want to have go or may bring someone across your path that you did not expect to meet. On their way to a place of prayer, he's introduced to a girl who needs divine intercession. My God, I hope you catch this. She needs someone who would fight for her because she couldn't fight for herself. You see this? So they moved from city to city in the south into town to fight for people who were denied their civil right and who were, who were denied their right to be free and yet they could not speak for themselves so God anointed and appointed a so Martin King that he might go on his way to the house of prayer to speak on behalf of those who needed a voice. Look at this text. Here it is. This young girl, look at the text, a certain slave girl I love this. Having a spirit of divination. Now understand that in the Greek text, when it says a certain slave girl, it means a girl who was in bondage, whose life had been captured by a spirit not of God, but whose life now stands in the grip. That's the reason why the word spirit of divination, the phrase is used in the Greek, it simply has one word. Her life was gripped in the Pathenian, 
It's the word from which we've drawn the word python, which comes out of the old Delphi oracle, which meant that the python that wrapped itself around the stick was called to be the snake of wisdom. And her life had been in the grip of a python. If you know anything about a python, it slowly wraps itself around you and it begins to constrict and squeeze until it squeezes the life of you. And here's a girl who has no voice, who is yet crying out because she is being strangled to death by a pythonian spirit who needs someone to help break the bondage in her life. I'm trying to get you to see God interrupted Paul's life that he might intercede on behalf of a girl who was being gripped by a python and that's the reason why God has you where he's got you and he's interrupted your life because there's somebody in your journey whose life is being gripped by a python, a python of drugs and a python of alcohol and a python of injustice and a python of discrimination and God's going to use you to intercede on their behalf that you might help break the python that's squeezing the life out of them. Man, I wish I had somebody that would preach with me in this text this morning. Watch this. He's gripping her life. He's called, says the text, calls her a slave girl who was bringing much profit to her master got to understand that the old King James Version called these individuals soothsayers because there was in the priestess of Delphi the belief that the python had the wisdom to prophetically speak for the future and there were those who would pay and I'm talking major people, religious leaders, military leaders who would pay the priestess of Delphi to tell us what the future hold. Religious, I mean, military leaders would not go into battle, watch this, without confronting, without conversing with the Pythian priestess. Watch, watch the analogy. And maybe Paul is trying to show us through Luke that when you move out, don't move out, not confronting the Pythian priestess but have a conversation with the priest above all priests. Talk with the king of kings who will lead you and can tell you what the future holds, says the text. She was making much profit because her life in that demonic grip was being exploited by those who could use her. And there are some people in conditions who cannot speak for themselves and as a result, they are being exploited by those who have the power over them. That is the reason why I'm grateful that we are involved in trying to at least alleviate in some small measure young men and women who are trapped in human trafficking. You may not see the value of it because it does not come to our doorstep. But understand, all around us, people are being trafficked as nothing more than property. In the name of someone who wants to exploit the human condition. And the human condition is weakness. 
And so they are now in the grip of the python and they can't break the grip by themselves. Have you, those who are in such conditions have opportunity to leave from the house to run away but the oppressor has so threatened them and so instilled fear that they cannot leave. And this young girl had a chance to leave but couldn't leave because she believed if she did, her life would be over. And what does Paul do? Paul wants to go to Asia to preach. God says, not Asia, Philippi in Macedonia because I got a girl who's in the grip of a demonic spirit and I need you to go and intercede on her behalf. In other words, I want you to not just pray her through, but I want you to be there to go through this with her. See, uh, some of us are all right as long as we're praying. But if you want me to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, that's a whole nother story. You want me to hold your hand and to take the fiery darts as you are. I'll just pray for you that God will send somebody by to help you. Well, I, I told you on last Sunday, we all believe that faith can move mountains. But we must not be surprised when God hands us the shovel. God says, in essence, I, I know faith will do it, but I, I want you to dig in the process of discovering how powerful faith is and through your digging I recognize you believe that faith will do it praying I know prayer will fix it but I also want you to pray not only with them but I want you to walk with them and I want you to cry with them and I want you to rejoice with them and I want you to stand with them because some people who are in the grip of the python need more than just you praying about it I need you to go out there and help him through this process. And so here go God, providing the interruption in Paul's life that he would intercede for this girl, says the text, who's being exploited. And you know that you're in the will of God because evil recognizes when you are an authentic follower of Jesus. Yeah, read the text. Look closely. Look closely at verse 17. As Paul moved throughout the city and meeting this girl for several days, this girl followed him. It's not the girl that's speaking. Remember I told you the girl is in the grip of the python and so the girl is not able to speak. The spirit is speaking through her. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's the demonic spirit. The demonic spirit is speaking through her because the demonic spirit, says Paul later to the Corinthians, shows up as an angel of light to confer, hear, hear me clearly, hear me clearly, to confer what God has said. Look, look at it closely. It says that that spirit in her walked behind Paul for these are indeed men of God. Maybe we read another Bible. Here's what it says. It says, these men are bond servants of the most high God who came to proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now you might wonder, why would the devil do that? Why, why would the devil come and confirm 
what God is about. Why would he do otherwise? Here's a girl who's in the grip. And then there are those who are all standing on the periphery who are also in the grip. Who are being exploited and who are also wondering what can I do to break the chains in my life. And so the evil one confer, oh yeah, these are preachers of the gospel. They come to tell you the way of salvation. But watch this. The Bible says, but Paul, as they continued behind him, here's the a, here's a, the famous, here's the word, became annoyed. You might say, why are you coming? No, because Paul knew the devil is lying through this woman. He didn't come to confer or to celebrate who I was. His objective is to ruffle my feathers to think that, oh, there's no demonic presence here. This is all of God. Let me leave and go to the next town. Instead, Paul turns, says the text, and look that demon straight in the eye. Because intercession is not just about saying some words. It's about confronting some things. That's why I don't like when people tell me they're praying for me. Are you really praying for me? First of all, if you don't know what I'm going through, what you going to pray about? What you going to say, Lord, bless him? Uh-uh. I need some specificity in my prayers. Lord, he's dealing with X, Y, Z. And we need your power to handle X, Y, Z. And in the name of Jesus, look at this scenario. Paul, don't look at the demon and say, girlfriend, I'm praying for you, but right now this is too much for me. I got to go. That's not what Paul does. Look at this text closely. The Bible says when she kept following him for many days, Paul was greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit. That's why some of us don't like to pray. Because God then instructs us to speak to the demon to speak to that demonic moment and when God calls us to do that that means that I have to be confronted to decide do I allow this person to stay in bondage or do I intercede for their liberation why do I compare this to a civil rights movement? Because those who ran before us looked evil in the eye, even to the point of suffering its physical assault. They didn't turn and run around and say, hey, we'll let the next generation deal with this right now. We just can't deal with it. We, we got to stay where we are. No, they stood their ground and spoke to that spirit of injustice and that spirit of discrimination and that spirit of evil and said to it, look what Paul says, in the name of Jesus. I couldn't wait to get to preach this sermon this morning because I said to myself, this won't be a shouting sermon. Because they got to sit and listen when I tell them, when you talk about confronting evil, you better have a name that is above your name to confront evil. 
Here it is. Here it is. Right here in verse 18, Paul looks at it and says, he, he don't just say, now listen to me. I, I am a disciple of Jesus and I have been to the school of Gamaliel and listen to me. Let's rationalize as to how you have this girl's life in your grip. The Bible says he commanded an imperative and one reason why we stay in the jam that we are in because when we look at evil we don't command it we try to rationalize with evil and this text said he command and he didn't use in the name of Paul but he says I command you in the name of Jesus God interrupted Paul's life that he might intercede for this girl who needed a voice, watch this, final point, that he might and she might experience an intervention on behalf of the Savior. And we are praying that God would give us intervention. That means that God would come in and break the chain. And look at the text. It says that Paul looked at that spirit and says, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And I'm shouting on the inside of my soul. Because this text reaffirms for me what Jesus, and it's interesting that Luke is the writer of Acts, what Luke records in his gospel narrative in relation to Jesus and the disciples. There's a story in Luke 17, I think it is, when Jesus sends out the 70 and when they come back, they say, Master, we have been successful for even demons bow down to us in your name. But that ain't, that ain't the shouting point. That ain't the shouting point. Let me, let, me, let me get to the text and read it for you so you can shout with me. It's Luke 10. Luke 10. And here's, here's the shouting point. Let me, let me, let me see if you, if you got the Holy Ghost like I think you got it. Lord. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, beginning in verse 18, hold up, wait a minute. Watch how Jesus shifts the scene. Jesus says, paraphrasing, Murphy version italics. Jesus says, oh shoot, that ain't nothing. You ain't, you ain't seen nothing yet. That was just an episode in your journey. Come on, this is revelation. Catch it as I throw it to you. Watch this. You ain't seen nothing. I, I want you to know I saw Satan falling like lightning from the heavens. <laughs> let, let me give you a hermeneutical exegesis in this thing. Jesus said, shoot, that ain't nothing. You already got all the power that you need to handle demons. 
just interrupted your life that you would see how you can intercede by using my name to create an intervention in someone's life, but that ain't nothing. You, you need to already know you got the power because I saw when Satan fell from glory, there it is right there in the text, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning, and then the next line he says, Behold, I have given you power. Shoot, I knew y'all did. I knew y'all... I knew y'all didn't have a Holy Ghost like I thought. I gave you authority. I gave you power. Look at the text. To handle, the, the old King James Version says, to tread upon serpents or scorpions. But it really means I gave you the power to handle any devil, any python that comes to grip your life. You already got authority. To break it. There it is right there. Luke 10 verse 19. I've given you power, authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all, come on shout with me Al, over all the power of the enemy. That's all the praise y'all got for God that gave you all the power all the power over the enemy this girl's life is gripped by the enemy and she doesn't know it and Paul is there to tell her in the name of Jesus watch how we break this power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall injure you This story encourages us not to be paralyzed by our own unbelief. Yes. Yes. And maybe part of our problem, Minister Exum, is we don't believe we got the power. That's why we always run around, pray for me. Pray for us. Lord, I need somebody to pray for me. When God has made it clear, you got the power. You already got what it takes through the Holy Spirit to break the grip of the python. If you think this power ceased, if you think it ceased when Jesus died, then I need to take you back to Mark chapter 16 and verse 17. Post-resurrection. When Jesus says, these signs will accompany those who believe. So there's a prerequisite here. The sign will only follow those who believe. So you need to wrestle with your unbelief in reference to what God can do. And here's what he said. These signs will follow those who believe. They will, here's the Greek word, expel demons in my name. Man, I thought y'all would shout on that one right there. <laughs> they will throw out demons in my name. 
they will clean the house in my name. Listen to what happens when Paul looks at this demon. Acts 16 verse 18. It says when he commanded them in the name of Jesus to come out. The last line of verse 18 says. And it came out at that very moment. Broke the grip. So if I fast forward this. Brother Woods, I asked myself the question, but why is Paul and Silas in jail praying and singing songs of praise? They're praying because Paul says, I know in prayer, I am praying for power. And God has to remind me sometimes of the power that I already have. That's why it takes me back to the word. That's why I got to read the word every day so I can be reminded of how much power I do possess. Secondly, says Paul, I, I'm praying. The reason why we pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and praise is because not only for power, but we also do so for protection. See, Paul knew also that I got to confront this demon, but I, need, I know in my human self, I can't handle the demon, but, but I got a power that's alive on the inside of me. I got protection all around me, and in the name of Jesus, there's my protection right there. I'll tell you how you know that protection is, is true. You're in a moment in which you don't have time to orchestrate, put together, articulate your prayer, and all you can say is Jesus. They, they, don't, they don't know nothing about that. They, they, ain't, they ain't never been there. You about to go under the knife and that anesthesia is kicking in and you thinking in your mind. All you can think of is the name. That's, that's how you know you got protection. Jesus. You about to see, you seeing something happen and you, it's as if you can't get the words out and all you can say is Jesus. That's my protection. I'm crying out in prayer for power. I'm crying out in prayer for protection. But I'm also crying out in prayer for production. God, God, I want something to come out of this. And this verse says, when Paul cried out, looked at that demon and said, come out of her, it happened at that very moment. God interrupted Paul's life with two women. One represented what it means to be liberated, Lydia. The other represented what it means to be in bondage, this girl. Now we're left in the text to wrestle with which do we follow? The state of bondage or the state of freedom? The demon responded to the apostolic authority come out of her. And the demon had to concede. Because when you recognize how much power you got in you, evil knows who you are, and it has to concede to your power. 
Let me close by saying Paul advocated in Ephesians 6 and 18, we ought to always be praying in the spirit. But when you read Paul's letter, you'll notice that all of his prayers did a couple of things. One, they were always full of Christ. They were always full of recognizing who Jesus was as Lord and Savior. Secondly, they were always unceasing. He was always telling people, I'm always praying for you. Have them stop. Cease from praying for you. I'm always, says Paul, in the prayer mode. And this is why sometimes when, I, when we talk about prayer, when I'm teaching about prayer, I try to tell people, stop trying to always orchestrate a seditiful or, or, or kind of professional or kind of uh, erudite prayer. Man, just talk to God like you just need to talk to him. Tell him all about your troubles and just lay it out there. In fact, God preferred not the religiosity. Just come on and talk to me. That's why I like people who say, let's cut through the chase, get to the point. Tell me exactly what you're trying to tell me. Paul did that in his praying. Never stop ceasing. But Paul's prayers also were replete with thanksgiving. One reason why we have a struggle with prayer is because we don't like to remember that we need to be thankful and grateful. I see that all the time in my own life that I fail to be thankful to where I am and what I have because I always want more and God is trying to tell me, well, shoot, you ain't even thank me for what you got. You haven't even, so stop looking at me like you, 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 you haven't done this, you haven't done you, you haven't done either. You don't thank him as often as you should, which is every day and all day. Can you really thank God every day and all day? Absolutely. Lord, I just thank you for life. Thank you for what's going on. I'll give you something simple. Something, something simple. It may not be important to you, but I realized it yesterday morning. Just up the street from my house. No power. Power wiped out. But in my house, Lost of your hard-earned money food. Ain't got to go back and buy it all over again. But in my house. No heat. And it, although it wasn't that cold, but the wind blowing though, you know that. Sort of increases the chill factor. But in my house. I'm, I'm just trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you how to be thankful. Go up the street and the wind has blew down fences all around. Now, now you got to fix the fence. I know your insurance will pay for it, but now you got to get the fence fixed. You got to take time off to be there when they come to fix it. But at my house, roof, the wind was so strong it took roofs off. But at my house. I looked on the news, particularly in Bethesda, and saw where whole trees have fallen, fallen into people's houses. But at my house, I'm just talking about being thankful in every episode. Here it is right here. 
And if that won't enough, Paul's prayers always seem to be unselfish. He always seems to be praying for other people. Always seems to be stretching out in his prayer life on behalf of somebody else. That's why God interrupted Paul's life, that he might stretch out, but this time in the flesh to intercede, that he might be used as an intervention for a girl who otherwise had no voice. Here's the shouting thing about this story also. We are not told what happens to the girl when she leaves Paul's setting. But we can only imagine. Once in the grip of the python, and you can get the fullness of this image if you just go online and just see the movement of a python. Just circling slowly. Because you know the devil rarely just comes in and wipes you out. It's a slow circulatory process. And squeezing and squeeze to where there's no more struggle and you have to concede to the python's desire and this girl now is free now on third Sunday I'm going to tell you what happens when freedom comes because not the girl but those who exploited her got some kind of mad at Paul for setting this woman free. And that's the reason why you get to verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas are praying. But they're in prison because they allow God to interrupt their life. And they allow God to use them as intercessors. And they allow God to use them to intervene to change the condition of this girl. That'll get you in trouble. When you start breaking people's lives free in the name of Jesus, that will get you in a lot. Of, and you will be amazed. It won't get you in trouble with the people you set free. That's obvious. It's folk around them who are profiting off of their misery. That's why I equate this to the civil rights movement. Uh, I'm going to preach in a couple of weeks to come about a young white man named James Reed, a Unitarian preacher who started out as a Presbyterian but saw something more inviting in Unitarianism, who died in the civil rights movement. He died because white supremacists beat him to death one night. He did this on behalf of our black skin. This is why you have to be careful with racism. Because the intentionality of those who use it seeks to pitch one against the other based on race. You got to be careful about that. Because not all Europeans are evil. There are some people who are white-skinned Caucasian who gave their life to fight for justice. And we got to understand that as black people. Can't hate, every, can't hate everybody who's white. In fact, you shouldn't hate anybody, period. 
but you can't hate everybody. And you can't allow yourself to be duped by white supremacy. But there are some white brothers and sisters who gave their lives, who rode on the freedom rides, who were burned at stake. I'm going to preach about James Reed, and there's another white sister who hid a black brother underneath her seats to get him out of Alabama. And here's the clincher. When the white supremacist caught up with her, the brother, they dragged him out and beat him, and he acted like he was dead. They left him alone, but they beat that white sister to death. Talk about crucifixion being sacrificed on behalf of another. There it is. It's right here in this text. That's why this is a civil rights movement when I think about Paul coming into town, standing up for a woman who has no voice. And that's what we're called to do, to evangelize the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we pray, because God gives us power. God gives us protection. And God gives us production. My closing sentence. I realize it's tough. But Jesus made this statement that's so prophetic. And you don't realize it until you read it. And then begin to compare it to life. Except a grain of wheat fall into the earth. It cannot produce. And unfortunately, it means unless some of us are sacrificial fallings, we don't produce. That's why we don't like to pray. Because God might call me to fall on behalf of another. And all I can say to that is every time I look at the record historically of those who have fallen that I might experience the production from their fruit. Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are indeed.